In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Every so often when Steve and I are watching television, he will flip through the channels while I'm reading a book or playing with my phone, and he'll stop at Joel Olstein. <laughs> now, Steve doesn't particularly like to watch Joel Olstein. What he really enjoys is timing me to see how long it takes for me to realize what is on television and start ranting. <laughs> I'm not sure why Steve thinks this is funny. Maybe it's my predictability and how I will respond, or more likely just because he wants to get my goat. But every time it happens, I am reminded of the number of people this modern-day snake oil salesman has harmed. Granted, Joel Olstein is not spreading a message of damnation, at least not overtly, but his brand of Christianity, and I use that word loosely, does just as much damage as any hellfire and brimstone preacher might do. He might not be scaring you into salvation, but he is certainly trying to sell it to you. Christianity is not defined by the prosperity gospel of the Joel Olsteins of this world. Just because you believe in God and pray faithfully doesn't mean your life will be one of ease. There's absolutely no truth to the message. God will make you wealthy if you just send $10 in. $10, that's all it takes to know the prosperity of the Lord. Not only is there no truth to those claims, they are offensive to God, to me, hopefully to all of you and every other Christian on the planet, certainly to every saint who has gone before us and every saint who is yet to come. Our God is not a prosperity God. Nowhere in Scripture does God promise us an easy life or even a wealthy one. We get the exact opposite of that message. Over and over again, we are told that we will suffer, but that we can endure it through Christ, who is our strength and our salvation. The message of prosperity is the lie we tell ourselves because we think that it will make us happy or fulfilled or important or powerful. But the prosperity gospel is anything but the truth. Joel Olstein sits on a throne of lies, and the reason his gospel is so harmful is because it reinforces a transactional relationship with God that says, if I do this, then surely God will do that. That relationship doesn't center on God. It is centered on us. God does not want a transactional relationship with us. God does not want us to do something so that he can give us something. God's not some big investment banker in the sky looking to capitalize off of our prayers or praise of him. Instead, God invites us into a transformational relationship with him, a relationship in which we grow together, a relationship that resembles more partnership than hierarchy, a relationship rooted in covenant. 
The most basic understanding we have of the covenant of God is that which he offered to the patriarchs. I will be your God and you will be my people. Even in these most simplistic terms, we find that our relationship with God has nothing to do with transactions. God does not define terms or limits. He simply defines relationship. The covenant is the invitation that we are offered. Take it or leave it. And those of us who are willing to take it, those of us who are willing to enter into the covenant are offered that invitation to transformation. And that invitation begins with our baptism. This morning, we will baptize little Malin Hill into our covenant with God. And in so doing, we will reaffirm our own baptismal covenant, professing our faith in the Trinity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and affirming with God's help our intention to worship together at church, to resist evil and return to God, to evangelize by being bearers of the good news, to seek and serve Christ in one another, and to respect the dignity of every human being. And though we will affirm these actions of our faith, we bear no expectation or agenda that by doing so, we win any greater favor with God. We don't have to. We know that before anything else, God sees us as beloved children, not sinners in need of redemption. What we are doing this morning in the baptism of little Malin is not about saving her from her sins. We have no power to do that whatsoever. And besides that, Jesus has already done that for us 2,000 years ago. What we get to do is reclaim her and remind her and all of us who will witness her baptism today that she and we are beloved children of God. And there is nothing that she or anyone else can do to ever change that. We are all beloved children of God. And that is the whole point of God's covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That is the covenant that Isaiah alludes to this morning, the covenant God has given his people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring the prisoners from the dungeon. We are the blind. We are the imprisoned. The kingdom is all around us, and yet we do not see it. The temptations and distractions of this life imprison us to choices that ostracize us from God and one another so that we seek things like prosperity instead of peace and joy. The psalmist this morning alludes to that covenant when he declares that God will give strength to his people. The Lord shall give his people the blessing of peace. And in return, all we must do is cry glory Peter invites Cornelius the centurion and his whole household, who are Gentiles, Roman soldier, into a relationship with God by introducing them to the covenant on his visit to Joppa. He tells them that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who chooses God, who knows God, 
is part of God. And now Jesus, at the River Jordan, reinforces this covenant between God and his people simply by being baptized. Jesus is baptized by John not because he is a sinner in need of redemption, but because of his and our belovedness. His baptism is proper and fulfills righteousness because it is an outward and visible sign of the covenant God made with his people so long ago, before history, before the nations, when the earth was young and humanity had yet to establish civilization. God promised us that he would be our God if we would be his people. It is a sign to us as to God's faithfulness And we participate in baptism as a reminder and reassurance of our own faithfulness. We do not define little Malin as a sinner in need of redemption. She is a beautiful daughter of Eve and a beloved child of God. She has bright eyes and a precocious smile. Her questions and words reflect a wonder of the world that is grounded in joy and curiosity. There is nothing about this child that needs to be forgiven. Her baptism today is not about sin. It is about righteousness. It is about the perfection of a covenant that God has established with his people and that we as the church continue to engage in as we grow and welcome more and more members into the body of Christ. On that day by the river, John didn't hesitate to baptize Jesus because he didn't have $10 on him. He hesitated because he recognized that Jesus was the one to come, the anointed one, the Messiah. And yet he consents when Jesus reminds him that it takes both God and God's people for this covenant to exist. And in that moment, when God and his people renew the covenant with one another through baptism, the heavens open and the spirit descends like a dove and the voice of God replies, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And I think that every time a new member of Christ's body is baptized into the faith, God says the same exact thing. This is my beloved child. I am well pleased. Amen.